1: KZSU, Stanford University's FM radio station, broadcasting across the Bay Area on 90.1 FM and across
2: the world at KZSU.org. From the campus of Stanford University, this is the Modern Architect Radio Show and Podcast. Features one on one interviews with renowned and cutting edge architects, influencers, and sustainability leaders. The show and podcast informs, educates, and illuminates the transformation, joy, and inspiration architecture brings to our cities, communities, and lives. Hosted by architecture aficionado and principal of Accurate, Tom Dioro.
1: Thank you, Charlotte, for our guest today. Love to welcome. Ed Westbrook, CEO of Quarry House. Ed founded Quarry House two decades ago, translating the ancient craft of stone masonry into a modern vernacular. He and his artisans believe in the art of legacy, combining traditional and innovative stonework techniques, sourcing stone buildings, materials, Locally and globally, Quarry House travels worldwide, and we'll talk about that, and creates timeless structures for both private estates and public spaces. Ed has collaborated with renowned architects and designers from around the world. For more information, feel free to visit QuarryHouse.com. Again, QuarryHouse.com. Um, hello, Ed. We're honored and excited to have you on the Modern Architects show today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We're really happy to have you. Our show, as it often does, takes place before our we actually get on the show and have our mics in front of us. And so many interesting facets to um, what you do, Ed, and your life. But we want to start with something. How did you get inspired to do what you do?
3: Well, I've always kind of just fell into everything I did. I, I don't know <laughs> if I really gave it a lot of upfront thought. I grew up in a farming and a, a construction family back on the East Coast in New Jersey and Northern Pennsylvania. And so from an early age, you know, we were working on farms, we were welding and we were building things constantly. I have a lot of trades people in my family. I started out hod carrying and doing hard work for my uncles who were masons at the time So it it was kind of in my blood, and, and I had a long and nefarious period of rebellion. And uh, traveling and how <laughs> how uh, nefarious was it? Well, uh, I mean, if you read Long. back into the bio somewhere, there's there's some really wild stories about a stint as an animal trainer on a Hollywood uh, animal training farm.
1: Oh, you got to share at least a quick one. Go ahead, please. W- yeah, I
3: well, hear I, I, I early. I mean, I was about 19. Okay, and uh, you know, I met a guy who has a farm in Pennsylvania. He trains uh, animals for movies and television. And we didn't have any money or didn't have a job. And he said, you want to come work on the farm? And I said, sure. So we did. And, uh, he, he broke me in as a a junior animal trainer and we, uh, we actually did the hams beer commercials. So hams, I remember the beer. Of, yeah, there was a live bear series of commercials and that was oh, our big gig. Oh, really? <laughs> so we, we had the bear out all over the States filming commercials. So anyway, that lasted a few years and we had a lot of fun. It sounds like it. And, uh, and I was married at that finally at that time. And, uh, we came out here to California and I started a small landscape company on my own, just me. And, uh, just because I knew how to do stonework, I started doing it. Mm-hmm. It kind of just. Took off on a fly, and yeah. and I like stone a lot. I mean, I really enjoy it. Yeah.
1: Well, why is it that you like stone so much? If you, could, if, I don't know if you have ever
3: sat down and thought about this or had a hams. <laughs> well, the guys in the shop say it doesn't talk back. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Okay. And if you're a landscaper, it doesn't die. Okay. Uh, it doesn't spring a leak. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, I like it because you know there's just a, it's a feeling. It's elemental, and you, you start working with it, and It's calming. It calms you down. It it, it makes you, it's heavy and it's hard work. So it really makes you think and, and you have, you have to learn a lot because there's, there's a tremendous bank of knowledge that underpins what's good work, which is what we hope we're doing. And so I just found that I find. I mean, I'm I'm going into my 65th year, and and I find every single day in this industry I learn something new. I find every single day I, I find something amazing and new that I didn't know before.
0: Oh.
1: That bank of knowledge. Can you share with your audience today what the bank of knowledge? Even though it just looks like it could be to someone just a rock or some stone, but there's that bank of knowledge. Can you share with us? Uh,
3: what you learn. You know, you start to learn as you go along. You know, we spend a lot of time in the quarries, so if you're working with quarry masters, you're sometimes with guys that have been in, in a in a single place quarrying stone for up to their whole lives, 30, 40, 50 years, and they learn it intimately. They learn it on a scale that, that is really not in today's scale. I mean, it's a long education about how the stone is and how you're going to cut it and how you're going to get it out and what it's going to be and its characteristics. And then you go quarry to quarry, which there's thousands and thousands of quarries in the world, and every single one of them is its own separate bank of knowledge. So you can spend your entire life just studying stone to stone in order to learn to have... You know, I, I will never in my lifetime encompass every stone. I won't. There's no way. So, but I've learned many in my yeah. career and, and it's, so it's, that's, that's a bank of knowledge and you, and you draw on that as you build and, and you can be a confident.
1: Yeah. Another great point that you said is uh, the feeling element aspect of it. Like what, what does it mean to you?
3: So it's connects you to the earth, and not to okay. be you know too. No, I like that too spiritual about it, but it does. Why not be spiritual? Come I, on. I mean, it is. You know, <laughs> it's. It's. Uh, I find that if you talk to people very often with clients, when we get to the stone and we start working with it, and we get past kind of the hyper design phase and we get into what we're really going to do, I find clients can get really common, very, and connected with the stone. Like they all of a sudden realize that it's going to be part of their home and it's, it's really, it's not the same as paint or something that's, oh, yeah. that's changeable. And so I think that it's a grounding for people. I think naturally we, we are ground to stone. We understand that it's the bones of the earth. We get it. It's, um, they call it haptic. They hmm. said your haptic sense is something that you employ when you're around stone. So that means all your senses at once.
1: Yeah. And, and it's, it's, you said that it changes every day or like you, you knew, learn something new every day. How about even on every job site?
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, the jobs become technically challenging. So on the, in the job sites, we're hanging, you know, we, I mean, as an example, on a job we're just finishing, we put up a, a, a header over a, a doorway, a big big doorway and it weighed 22,000 pounds. So that's a big piece of stone and the technical skill and engineering that it takes to take a stone like that in earthquake zone four and hang it over someone's head is intense. And so it challenges everybody in the, in the entire company. We have to figure this out. We have to engineer it and we have to handle this extremely heavy stone and get it in place. And it has to look beautiful.
1: Yeah. Now, uh, speaking of that beauty, how do you, do you work with your clients to say, here's what you got to look at, or what are you looking for? Do, you, do they have an idea exactly what they're looking for? Or rarely. <laughs> <laughs> really? Okay, rarely do they have no. an idea. Yeah. So, so when they approach you, what are they saying? Like, we, we want stone, or we want, we want this, but uh, are they that open enough to say, we don't know really what we want?
3: Well, in today's world, we tend to be approached on the basis of color. And that's where it starts. And it's because mainly the architecture today is driven by design. So, you know, there's usually a color palette or a color idea. And so we have to take that color idea and then try to interpret into something that's going to actually work for the building or for whatever we're making. And uh, that's usually the first kind of step in the process.
1: Do you recall your first client or clients? My first yeah, just to just to kind of uh, w- w- there's a method to this madness here, oh to, uh, uh
3: well, one i I don't know if it's exactly the first, but it's close to the first, okay. I remember I was doing a job in Marin and I was building a garden, and I was building a big set of stone steps, and it turns out that the guy was an FBI agent, and I didn't <laughs> know it, but he showed up like with his gun and everything, and <laughs> I was I wasn't that old then. I was pretty young, my 20s, and I had long hair and stuff. And I was like, uh, you know, wow, (laughs) we're working for the man. (laughs) And so I I do remember that one. Turned out great, and the guy was a nice guy. We didn't have any problems. I didn't didn't get an FBI record or anything from that job, so it was good.
1: (laughs) So, and even, we'll go now to some of your most recent projects, commercial or residential. Let's, Let's stay with commercial for now.
3: We've been primarily for the past, let's see, three years, we've been very intensely on residential. Okay. And our commercial work has been somewhat limited right now. We are looking at a couple of major hotels that are talking to us, one up in Calistoga and another one in Cabo San Lucas. And so we have those, but currently we're doing mainly private residences and we've did really... I can't say too much because we're they, these uh, massive NDAs. Yes, but one of the projects was up in Lake Tahoe, and we built a home that we used five thousand tons of hand split granite on, and we processed that all in Richmond, and it came from three different states, and it was a massive granite job. I mean, it was really quite a bit of work. And was that a project that? Uh they approached you. You approached them. Did you suggest, I think you ought
1: to go with all stone. Um,
3: you know, when they brought it in, they kind of represented how they wanted it to look in the end. And so typically we're building massive mock-ups. I mean, if you come out to our shop, you'll see these, they're literal, you know, 10 foot tall walls and stuff that are built. And that's where we do the, the plus and minus work where we figure out, do you like this? Not like it? How do you mm-hmm. want it to look? And then once we get there, then we can kind of head down the road to, to start building the process.
1: Oh, and that's uh, one of the more recent projects, if not the most we recent. We
3: just finished that.
1: Okay. I, is there a timeline of uh, beginning to completion or obviously it varies, so
3: but it, that was about three years from okay. the day we started till, you know, just recently finishing. Very typically our projects will run two to 10 years in length. So we rarely work less than two years and we're often in six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years on a project.
1: Now, did that happen by design, or did you just kind of got away from you? <laughs> <laughs> <I> mean,
3: <laughs> yeah, usually we we don't finish if it gets away from yeah. us. Cause, you know, <laughs> they, don't, they don't. They don't go for that. <laughs> well, when as an example, we built a, a, an extremely large private Japanese garden and, and home, and we had to source material in China. This was going back a ways. and you know, again, it was a massive job, granite job, but they wanted it done strictly as traditional Japanese stonemasons would do it we were sent over to Kyoto by the owner and we spent three weeks studying with some very wonderful Japanese masters that we got a lot of insight from, of how we were going to do that but from the inception, from the early what we call pre-construction work, which is doing things like traveling and photographing and doing historical research and, and finding the right stone and all that work that can take a couple of years right there and then when a job like that we have years of quarrying and production and fabrication and then installation and then the finishing so it doesn't really take that long to add up a lot of years on a project it happens yep. faster it's pretty much my life right now back, I mean, you know.
2: all things being relative most cathedrals throughout europe took hundreds
3: of years exactly Exactly. So we're going a lot faster and we're, oh, yeah. we're trying to do the, uh, 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 close to the same level. We don't quite get there, but we're very close, very close.
1: Yeah. Now is, speaking of that, getting close to it, can you share with the, share with us about the classical architecture and what your thoughts, feelings and experiences are, uh, are, and especially now.
3: Yeah. So, you know, for us, classical is another part of the grounding. So in terms of even building modern buildings, if you're grounded in the classical principles and if you understand the orders and proportion and how they relate to men and, you know, the work of Palladio and the early Greek masters, if you have that as a grounding, it helps you It informs you as you go along about scale. I was very lucky to spend good almost 25 years of my career working directly with Lawrence Halperin, who is obviously yeah. a great, great architect and is no longer with us. Uh, he was a very close friend of mine. And and Le- Larry, although he practiced in a modern kind of idiom and he had a very, you know, kind of iconoclastic style, he was really grounded in, in classical Japanese and classical Western and Greek architecture and design and thinking. And he really, really, really helped me with this uh, f- with an idea of scale so that you're automatically building in scale and when something gets out of scale you're working to correct that you're saying well that's too big or that's not big enough and and so we're constantly trying to educate architects and say we like your design but we're going to help you redesign it it's going to be better (laughs) yeah what's the response when you do that Well, you have to be gentle. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) The plight of the architect. Yeah, yeah. You have to be gentle with them because, you know... They have the money. They'll go over the edge if you go too hard on them. (laughs) But uh, I think once they realize that you're an artisan and that you're coming from a space of, uh, I don't want to change your design. I'm not here to be the architecture designer, but I'm here to be a a solid artisan. So I'm going to give you input. And I'm going to give you... you I'm going to give you our artistic vision, but it's going to be in the form of your own vision. So that's different than oh. an artist. An artist has his own vision and he's executing it. We are bringing an artistic sensibility inside of someone else's vision. That's our job.
1: That is incredibly challenging. and uh, It is. Yeah, it is. Let's we'll talk a bit about your son related to music Is there's a producer Brian Bromberg is his name, and uh, he had said something that as a producer, you want if you can make the artist keep their own voice, their own sound, their own uh, their own essence, and still produce and keep that, and they don't say, "Oh, that's a uh, use it for his name," but Brian Bromberg production, that is uh, really challenging, and I would think the same as you're you're talking about as an artist.
3: I an think artisan. that that's exactly the point. Okay, and uh, you know. When we were, we did the Yosemite Falls restoration project with Lawrence, and at the end of it, I remember this really clearly, we were there with all the dignitaries and stuff, and, and one of them came up to Lawrence and said, you know, I really can't tell what you did. <laughs> you know? And Lawrence said, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's
1: outstanding. This is the modern architect in KZSU, Stanford, 90.1 FM.
2: Well, we're going to read as our PSA inside this interview precisely about that project that you did for Yosemite Falls restoration because you can't tell what anybody did that's sort of the point so the stone stone is a dominant presence I'm reading right from your website because it's such a good PSA for people to want to aspire to and then go and encourage them to go there stone is a dominant presence at Yosemite Falls from the steep granite wall that towers above it to the massive boulder at its base. So accordingly the stonework was an essential component of Lawrence Halpern's plan to restore the natural habitat and create its amenities that blend seamlessly in the natural with the natural surroundings. So they hired the quarry house artisans keyword the artisans to construct stone constellations directing visitors away from the fragile forest and the stream habitats. So the crew built six walking bridges, wow, and amphitheater, retaining walls, benches, a bus stop, and restrooms. A significant challenge of the project was emulating the 1930s stonework of Works Projects Administration, the WPA, era masons the resulting stone structures look as though they have been there all along yet will last for several centuries so congratulations because that's you know really what we all should be aspiring to and even right here on this campus and so i do want to make a remark because it's always been one of my favorite buildings on campus that is obviously is a new building but, you know, is not very far from the main quad that was constructed and commissioned about 1891 or 93, I think. And I think it's so important that we, you know, celebrate and maintain its integrity across all the other things. And so you all did the CEFR building, which is the Stanford Institute for Economic Policy Research and that's a 35,000 square foot conference and office facility for. Well, it's right near the Hoover Tower, so it had to be all that much more sensitive to ex- existing, well understood and known known icon of this campus. So it's designed by uh, Kilgerman Barclay Architects, and the facility's two wings echo the architecture of Stanford's original Romanesque quadrangles and its historical. Blake Willem Brown buildings, I would argue that that took a, a good artisan to make all that happen. It wasn't just because the architect could put something on paper. So the quarry house's challenge was to blend the the custom cast stone elements with the natural stone cladding to create a uniform facade. You might to tell us a little bit more about that, but anyway, I want to celebrate you all for having done, it's one of my absolute favorite more recent buildings because it's so exciting that it so matches well and is an extension of the original quad. So anyway, big shout out clap for Quarry House. Quarry House. <laughs> Charlotte, thank you as well.
1: We're talking today with Ed Westbrook, CEO of Quarry House. For more information... You can visit quarryhouse.com. Again, quarryhouse.com. And along the lines of what Charlotte shared with uh, your audience today, how do you keep that sort of um, timelessness? Not that there's a one-word answer, but it is timeless what you're doing.
3: You know, I I think that, you know, when we first started the company, we kind of set it out. It's a family-owned company. So when we first started the company, my mother-in-law was actually my partner. And um, my wife is my partner as well. And she made the comment, she goes, "Um, I want to see good work and I do not want to end up in debtor's prison. (laughs) <laughs> debtors, are, and other than that, uh, yeah. you can run the business. <laughs> so, so you had your guides, your guidelines. Yeah. yeah. And, okay. And, uh, you know, we actually, re, we reiterate it all the time. That's one thing we constantly ah, do okay. is we always say to our guys first, our concern is the work. Let's not worry about the money. Let's not worry about that. That's That's something we'll take care of. But let's talk about the work being good and the best. And so... The guys in our crew, which we have a phenomenal crew, we have over 50 of the most talented stone artisans you're ever going to meet. And the people in our company have an innate, ingrained sense, and they know that if something's not right, we'll tear it out, and they'll get a chance to do it again, and no one will be held accountable. They'll be held accountable for doing it right. And if we do it wrong, it's like, great, we learned something, let's do it again, and let's get it right. And if you stick there... And, and you take the pain of that and you do it over and over again, people will come to that and say, okay, I'm, I have pride in what I'm doing and I'm going to make sure that it's right. And, and, and that makes everything else easier as you go.
1: That principle, philosophy, mindset, culture, whatever you want to call it, do you think it's transferable even into other industries?
3: Yeah, I think, okay. I think that it's, it's one of the things that's hurting us and in America is, is losing that. You know, it's, it's, I know there's a lot of turmoil and changes and automation and everything, but I work in automated factories in Italy, and the people on that floor are as dedicated to quality and beauty and, and absolute perfection as, as any of the carvers that I work with, the hand carvers. So it's, it's the same ethic, and, it's, and it crosses over. It's just that belief. And when you go into a factory where they don't believe that, you get a sense of it right away. You know it. Do you
1: think being with stone... And, and through what, 40, 50 years now of your life, if not almost most of it?
3: Yeah, I've got about forty-five years hardcore in in construction, and I have about thirty-five solid years in stone. And the company is now twenty-eight. That's our—we're just going into our twenty-eighth year. Okay. So do you
1: do you feel that being uh, uh, involved in in with the earth so much gives you that um, that sense of real hardcore reality?
3: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, when I'm lecture, I, I give talks and lectures sometimes to young architects, and I said I start them out, and I say, you know, stone is heavy, hard, cold. <laughs> that's, that's life. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And okay. and and our guys get up, and it's cold in the morning. It's cold on site, and they work all day, and that is the basis of what we do. At the bottom line, but once you build something there, and if you build it right, it could last five hundred years easy. <sighs> and, Which is a hallmark of. The most sustainable buildings are the ones that don't get torn down well we, we talk about this a lot and, and I've actually I'm fighting for it in some areas because we're, our company has a project to build solid stone houses and we're trying to bring it back um, Wow it's an ambitious thing and we haven't accomplished it yet but it's internally we've been engineering and working on this idea for many years and and what we you know what we put out is we say you know I've been, in front of planning commissions I've been up there and I've said look, we are the ultimate green. Oh, yeah. Yes, it, yes, it mm-hmm. does t- burn more carbon to bring a, a heavy stone to the site and so on and so forth. You can do an al- analysis either way. But ultimately, if I build my house right, two or three or four five generations could use that house over and over again. And they could remodel it. If you tore the house down, the basic materials could be immediately reused. And that's historical. That's how we built. That's how all the cities, you know... And many of the cathedrals in Europe were built out of reclaimed stone. If you go to the cathedral at Pisa, next to the Leaning Tower of Pisa, you can see a great example of that where literally there's a block that says Hadrian on it.
2: Oh, wow. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's remarkable.
3: <laughs> you know, oh. somebody took a block from Hadrian's whatever he was building, the wall or something in Rome, and, and picked it up, and they put it into the cathedral. So and, building, uh, a, a building
2: a building a for forever, or for 500 800 cambridge is 800 years old is dennis hayes of the bullet foundations the person that was recruited basically as a stanford student he was the he was the leader of earth day the very first earth day and the million you know man march and that's his first hallmark in any lecture he gives is that you need to build the building for hundreds of years not 50 exactly exactly Exactly. So tell that to all the city councils across
3: America, and maybe we get back to (laughs) real sustainability. You
1: you are doing that, telling it to city, uh, at a
3: legislative level? Uh, Well, not legislative, I wouldn't say that, but I said, you know, like, we're trying to, we've gotten one house up in Marin, we've gotten through the initial approvals, and that was like a six-year fight. Oh, my goodness. So we're hoping that now we can move forward and possibly develop that house and either, you know, sell it eventually. But we're hoping that we want to show developers, and and now with the woo interface with the wildland fires and so forth we're saying you know Mm -hmm. guys you know it doesn't have to be stone but masonry homes are the way to go and europe's been building them and still is building them forever forever and it's just a matter of adjusting your styles and some of your thinking and the building methods
2: wow so excited that you're on our side ed (laughs) (laughs) he definitely is let's go a word to me that means
1: a lot. It's a mantra. my uh, everywhere I go is beauty. Share with. Can you share with us? Because there's a, there's a just from what I've seen in your website and then hearing you talk and even before our show, there's a, beauty matters to you.
3: Oh, absolutely. Okay. I mean, it's you know, it, it it's a thrill to, for me to get up every day and go to work okay? because I get to work with a an incredible group of artisans that are inside of our company and then i have my larger community of artisans and friends that are in the world and we're doing projects together so i'm working with some of the best stone covers in the world literally i mean I, every day and we're working with some of the most amazing quarries and the people that have been in the in, in industry much longer than i have they're you know three and four generations old in the industry so We're constantly surrounded by beauty. You know, we're constantly, I collect books crazy, like, you know, antique books and and architectural uh, historical volumes and stuff, because the knowledge that we need to inform our work is all in there. I mean, it's a lot of it. And and so it's extracting that knowledge and say okay now how can we apply that practically how can we take a a very old carving technique or a way to build a building or a way to do something you know like the plans to the quad and the work that was done there we have those and we look at them all the time and we've and they've informed our work we have some private homes where people wanted us to recreate some of the elements of Stanford and so you know the arcs and the length of the arc and why did they do that more squat column and why you know how did how did that work with kind of Spanish colonialism, and, you know, they're kind of mixing. That's a really... I
2: always wanted to have a conversation with
3: someone that knows what he's...
2: (laughs) It's Well well, Charlotte,
0: carry on. (laughs) You are. That is so (laughs)
2: thrilling to know that other people have, like, wanted that, you know, why is that squatty? It is. It's a shorter arch height. Yeah. And, um, you know, they were,
3: I think they were kind of, they were working in this world of, of, you know, the classic monasteries and so forth from, from Europe. And, and then they were kind of, everything in California was bumping into the Spanish colonialism. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and even as far as like, you know, the Adobe missions, you know, and you see, you see all of this kind of smashing and, and mixing of these classical architectural styles. And, when it was under a master architect, you know, and, and when it when it's being, you know, like if it's under Willis Polk or it's somebody like that, you get these incredible results, these incredible buildings that are still here today and either being restored, restored, or in pretty good shape. And so that's, that's you know, you just walk around and there you go. You know, it's your, your education's right there. All you have to do is draw it and think about it, study it, and see what you can bring into your own work.
2: Well, I hope, uh, I hope some Young architects get inspired by this conversation because I wish there were more classical architects out there.
1: And that's why we have our show, you know, for, uh, what you're sharing, Ed. Fantastic. It's going out to a, a lot of people anywhere, as you said before. Uh, we started, what, Charlotte, a few hundred and now we're like over three hundred thousand almost per episode.
3: They're listening. They'll hear this. So, well, I would love to see three hundred thousand <laughs> motivated young classical studying architects out there. That be that would be a. Be a I would change the world. Yeah, that, they could change the world.
1: Speaking of that change, in your experience, what is it like to stay or be in a in a stone dwelling? Does it affect
3: you? Yeah. It's, well, it comes back to the haptic word. There's a wonderful study project and sometimes my uh, memory fails me, but I've read it thoroughly. And, but essentially what the project is, they've been studying how does stone affect people? And, uh, so they take groups of people with no, you know, no specific stone knowledge or anything. And they kind of just go out in the countryside in, in some beautiful areas and they stand on these massive beautiful monoliths of stone and stuff and they ask them questions, just kind of psychological questions, like how do you feel? Oh, I, I feel good, I like this, this is nice You know, I, it's nice to sit on a warm stone in the sun, you know, and it makes me feel peaceful you know? and you get all of this stuff and they, they say well how does it affect your senses, you know, and you say well I, I don't feel nervous, I feel grounded, you know, and you hear grounded a lot and I and come back to that and so what we believe is that If you walk into a completely artificial environment, right, your body knows it. Your eyes pick it up, your sense, your sense of smell. All your senses can pick up. Another way to put it, it's a difficult thing to put into words, but another way to put it is sometimes you go into a space and you don't know why, but it feels really great. Right? Mm -hmm. You're in a spot like the Stanford Quad. Yeah. Yeah. Right? You walk through the gallery and you feel really nice, safe, inspired, all these things. You feel like the building and you relate and you feel, you know, you feel things, right? They're actual emotional feelings you have. And and you know, some, it's not something that would be in somebody's forward consciousness, but it's back there. So part of that is the fact that they're built of real materials. They're not fake materials. It's harder for us to, I mean, if you walk into a a room, that's all plastic or something, or (laughs) or all some fake material, it affects you in a different way. Now, I'm not saying it's good or bad. I won't. I won't make that judgment. But I'm going to say that you you feel differently. So when people can off, you know, I talk to people all the time. They go, I was in Europe and I was in Rome, and Rome's my favorite city. Go, hmm, why? Well, you know, the art history and the food and the people. Oh, great. Oh yeah, and the city. You know, it's just amazing. You know, it's it's all that stone, <laughs> and it's so old, and it and it feels old, and it looks old. And they go on and on and on, and, on and people fall in love with that. Well, a lot of that's the haptic sense of being in Rome and that it's, you feel, I mean, you can feel that people were there 1200, 1400 years before and that this was accreted, you know, it came up through all of that and all of that stone, all that beauty is there. And it's an expression of humanity that, you know, very, that exists. And so I think that that's the basis. I mean, I think that's what people feel and they don't know it. Mm And we sense it more. I mean, our guys can really tell. And my guys are pretty stoic. I mean, I'm the poetry guy. I'm uh, the guy who's out here, you uh, know. And that's just their makeup? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it is hard work. And, and when you're around stonemasons, I love them to death, every uh, one of them, you know. But they're, they can, you know, they'll be monosyllabic. I have one guy who's one of our best guys, and he, you know, and we love him to death, and he's great. But you'll ask one, how's it going? It's Okay. <laughs> As, you know, you know, he got. You know, what'd you do today? Yeah, you know, well, I got this done and I got that done. Okay, <laughs> well, yeah, you know, if you asked him how he felt about it, he would go, uh, "It's done. I feel good." But what, what, what are you talking about? <laughs> but he expresses himself in the work, and the work is absolute perfection it's, yeah. it's 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 the it's all the way at the top
2: i think if you go anywhere in the world and you you see stonemasons working especially outside of the u.s because you know they're always imported even even all the masons and everything that that you know put the mosaic on the front of the church at stanford and i'm sure the masons themselves were brought over here by jane stanford from florence yes right and you know you see stone are always so proud of their work and they have a right to be and it's to be able to go home at night and always be proud at the end of the day of of what you just built, and, and yeah, it's still standing, still standing there.
3: There's a great bar near the. Oh wait, where is this? W- yeah, it's, 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 <laughs> uh, it's near the it's near the quarries in Carrara. Okay. And, and the bar is split in two pieces, oh. and uh, and one side is a fairly civilized white tablecloth place you can have lunch and drinks, and uh, the walls have hand sketches by Picasso. And many, oh, well. many, 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 many amazing artists who are there, Boto, et cetera, Boto. And it's, it's fabulous. On the other side of the bar is where the Scalpolini go, which are the couriers. Oh. And they will fight verbally at first and eventually a fist fight will break out so very often at lunch there you know you'll hear this horrendous scuffle the first time I was there I, they, 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 they'll always put you in there if, you, if you're there the first time they'll just put you there and won't we'll say a word They'll just, you, know, you can have lunch here you know and I hear this huge commotion next door and I go outside and these two guys are out in the front bar and they're just getting geared up and they're going to go at it and everybody's yelling and oh, he's going off and, oh and my the, goodness the restaurant guy runs the restaurant he knows his good friend uh, he's a friend of a friend of mine who is a good stone guy and he just goes, yep, it's Tuesday. Guys always (laughs) fight on Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) So that's kind of, I always thought that that was a great dichotomy, yeah. of, uh, you know, and, and I'm sure Picasso was there and I'm sure there was a fist fight or a good <laughs> verbal argument and I'm sure he just loved it. You know what I mean? It would have been like, you know, this is, this is a real guys and they're working hard and they're drinking a few drinks at lunch and it gets out of hand.
2: <laughs> <laughs> it might've been why they went
3: there. Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's a great place. So that, that to me is pretty much how it really is in the real world. Oh man. How about the acoustics? The acoustics of stone. Well, I mean, if especially you, in a dwelling. Yeah, if you're talking I mean like the historical buildings and I, and I you know I often say this. I say a lot of historical buildings actually weren't built really well. They look great and they did hold up because they're mass buildings. So you're talking walls that are 12, 14 inches thick and up to 20 inches thick. So they're huge. And you know, the acoustics in there are, are very often like where we are today. They're they're very the sound is, is, is absorbed in these massive walls. They can also have some echoing because it's stone, so it can be reflective, and so you can get kind of that. The problem they had was water and water vapor, mm. and they didn't know how to control it too well, and that's where actually we're doing better today. Today, we can build uh, masonry buildings, and we can control vapor and water really well, and so we're actually capable of building better buildings than they did then. It's, it's just having the will to spend the money to, to do it that way. I think that, I mean, most people travel in Europe, and when you're in a hotel room, even if it's remodeled, some of them are very modern. They're remodeled modern, but behind there are mm-hmm. huge masonry walls, either brick or brick and stone or some combination. And you get a different feeling when your windowsill is 12 or 14 inches set back. Absolutely. I don't hear all the cars
2: out front. I don't hear my neighbor next door, and I'm not ever wor- worried that I will. No, you don't.
3: And the light comes into the building in a different way. It's a, it's a completely different feeling than you do in a, in a very thin glass wall or a constructed wall building like we have here in the U.S., most of.
1: it's terrific. This is The Modern Architect on KZSU Stanford, 90.1 FM.
2: Okay, we're going to tell you about the ICAA Northern California Chapter. It uh, was founded in 2004. It offers a wide array of programming, including lectures, continuing education classes, architectural and travel tours throughout the Bay Area, as well as art, literary, and historic symposiums. The Julia Morgan Awards, held biannually, were established in 2014 to recognize outstanding work in architecture, design, craftsmanship, patronage, preservation and restoration throughout the Bay Area the ICAA Northern California chapter also provides scholarships to students and professionals to attend the ICAA professional intensive and summer studio in classical architecture as well as other ongoing ICAA courses so now I'm gonna I'm gonna let Ed tell us what ICAA stands for and really what it is it's very Perfect. exciting
1: let me reintroduce but again recognize Ed and We're talking today with Ed Westbrook, CEO of Quarry House. For more information, feel free to visit QuarryHouse.com. Again, QuarryHouse.com. Ed, please.
3: So the ICAA is the Institute of Classical Art and Architecture, uh, Northern California chapter. And I am on the board of that and very happy to be on the board. It's a fantastic group of designers, architects, and classical Enthusiasts, What the main goal of the ICAA NorCal is, is to create educational programs and to help have a forum for students to come in and learn how to draw in classical art and architecture, mainly architecture. And we're, what that means is that you can draw in scale with a pencil and a paper. So you could sit down and draw the Colosseum in scale with a pencil and paper. That sounds fairly simple, but there's a huge amount of learning that goes into how to do that and all of the principles behind it. And it used to be absolute the basis of all architecture taught in the United States and in the world. And as the Bauhaus kind of took over architecture at that period of time, it started to slowly slip away and it is less and less taught. And now we're down to just a few colleges left in the United States that actually teach a a solid classical architecture series. So what we're trying to do is is bring that back through a series of, of classes, ultimately the intensives, which are a week-long drawing intensive, which we are hosting this year in San Francisco, the National Intensive, and that's... I don't have the dates, but they're on the website, and I would encourage people to sign up for that. It's fantastic. But what we are ultimately looking to do is we are beginning to raise funds and look towards creating an actual school, a a founded school, in San Francisco with full-time instructors that can teach this. I'm so excited. (laughs) This
1: is fabulous. That's That's outstanding.
3: Yeah. It's like Christmas. Yeah, this is it, fabulous. It's uh, it's kind of our BHAG right now, and we just kind of bit the bullet and said we have to get this done. So we're hoping in the next five years we're going to be able to land it somewhere. We're talking with, uh, you know, different schools and different colleges to get some physical space, and and we're trying to figure out to raise the money so that we can get the uh, the course structure in place and all of, uh, all the things we need get a uh, you know staff to run it and so forth.
1: Now, but with the youth, what's your experience with the, when the uh, the kids? start drawing with their hand?
3: I think to get really excited. I mean, what we see over and over again is everyone that comes into it gets kind of hooked on it right away. And, you know, for young architecture students that are being on CAD all day long, or if they're young graduates or whatever, working in architectural offices, they're kind of at a desk or a cubicle, and they're sitting there with a mouse and they're they're working on a screen. It's, you know, you, you wouldn't know if they could be tech programmers. It's sure, you know, it doesn't, doesn't look to it yeah. any different necessarily. And so I think that it, it for them, it's it's you know this great experience. They can come out. We've got these amazing instructors who come in and teach these courses, and and these guys have got you know long careers in in drawing and doing it just phenomenal stuff. They're phenomenally talented. And so the students get inspired And it kind of, you know, a lot of them keep coming back. They take the intensives and the architect's offices that we talk with. They say, well, we're really happy to have it because we're getting more talent. You know, that person is better at their job. They have this skill. They can go out with a client and sit with a sketch pad and say, well, oh no, here's an idea. Boom. Well, how about that? You know, and that's fantastic. We love to just more that's of That's how it used to be. I mean, you know, if you were at uh, M- McKim and White, let's say, in San Francisco's office, you would have seen 60 guys at desks, all with little green <laughs> shades and pencils and <laughs> yeah. a protractor and, and, you know, drawing. And they would have been out in the field drawing. I mean, everybody was drawing all the time. Yeah. And uh, yeah, what's yeah. your
1: thoughts on that? just the tactile of having the, the hand, the pen, the pencil and the mind?
3: So I think that anything, I think that anything you do with your hands that connects your mind and your hands together, if it's playing music, if it's drawing, if it's painting, if it's carving stone, if any of that is connecting your right and left brain and it's, it's making you a much more dynamic person, you will be a more dynamic person. If if you don't have that, if you don't have any of that in your life, you're not going to be as dynamic a person. It's going to really change your life. And that's where people are.
2: That's a very profound statement. Ed is a very good ambassador for
3: classical architecture.
2: (laughs)
1: For for sure. But but again, I'm looking for the transference into other facets of life as well.
3: Well, I mean, so... You know, I, I we work in the modern idiom, so it's not it's not as if I don't build modern buildings in stone. We do stone work inside of white boxes, we call them, you know, or whatever. I mean, but what I find is, you know, like the the really great modern work that's been done, the stuff that's that I think is is going to be iconoclastic and last, okay. really, real good ideas, they have a basis in that same scale. It comes back to scale, and so that because we have, you know. One way we put it, 5,000 years of classical architecture, right? 200 years of the transition, and about less than 50 years of modern-day architecture. right? So, what's informing what? If the 5,000 years doesn't inform the, the, the 50 years, the work isn't going to be very good. I mean- We didn't learn anything as humans for 5,000 years. I think we did. (laughs) I think we really did. So we're just saying, we're not saying, you know, I don't think that every building should be classical. I don't think that the whole world has to change and go back and look like Stanford Quad or anything like that. I'm just saying that we want that as a vibrant source of study and understanding in today's world to help inform where we're going. Because where we're going we're going very fast I mean with CAD drawing and 3d modeling machines and and you know all of this kind of stuff that's coming out very quickly we're transitioning into a whole nother world and I want to see that that it's informed by all of that knowledge
1: well, you're definitely taking action on all that is that also part of why you you like getting up in the morning and heading out after it
3: yeah it's yeah. um you know my wife is uh, you know, okay, we can dial this back a little bit, can't oh. we? <laughs> but but you, yeah, yeah, what, what but would no.
1: dialing it look, dialing it back, look like
3: to you? I'll, I'll just get something else and get get on it and get going. I mean, I have to have something like dynamic to do in front of me all the time. It drives everybody crazy in the company, and they, they go, "Oh, look out! He's uh, coming with a new idea. We're gonna have th- trouble." Does it
1: happen almost every day? daily or at least monthly? Uh,
3: like my it. daughter, who is who is what my loving critic, and and I love oh, her. To I death. never heard that a
1: loving critic.
3: Yeah, oh. she she's uh, she she kind of gives me the reality check every once in a while, every day almost <laughs> that she sees me. But she's in the company and she's doing a fantastic job. She's she's a wonderful project manager and, and a great builder. But she uh, the other day we we had a good friend of mine, and she had a beautiful Romanesque carving that was done in marble of Romulus and Remus and the and the wolf, and um, they they loved it. It's, it's tabletop, good size, uh, and they dropped it, oh. and it shattered into about ten pieces. And she didn't know who to call, so she called me up, and and she said, "Well, can you fix it?" And I immediately said, "Sure." we'll figure that what out don't worry really? just bring it over so you know in the middle of a very busy shop day i show up with my friend and the and the sculpture and <laughs> i pull a couple guys out of production and my daughter comes running out she goes oh great you know oh my goodness now we're going to do art conservation <laughs> oh my god know? right in the middle of i the... said well we can hand, you know we, we can, can do, do this and she's, she's just you know holds her head um <laughs> But, you know, I'm sure that they'll have it fixed in a couple of weeks and it'll be beautiful because they're, you know... They'll, and no they'll one will go. ever know it fell on the floor. We hope so. Yeah, we hope that's what happens. Oh,
1: but, but you know what? There's a, the joy factor, too. for you. Sure, absolutely. I mean, share with us the... You're already sharing it with us, but what it means to you and the legacy that you're uh, providing. Well... That level of joy
3: my son who is now number 2 in the company and and again my son Dylan's a phenomenal builder an amazing builder and he's very practical very well educated he's a journeyman headed to master mason but he's also now in the executive side of the company and Dylan looks at me he goes dad let's just make our new tagline um if it's easy it's not for us <laughs> <laughs> that is good
1: so you you share the the joy in in the um
3: degrees of difficulty. Yeah, absolutely. Quarry House, and I take pride in that, Quarry House is known on taking on really, really difficult projects. And people come to us with challenging, unique stuff all the time, and And we're just a yes. We're like, you know, I don't know if we know how to do that, but we're <laughs> yes, and we're gonna figure it out, and we're gonna do it, and we'll make sure it's right.
2: If I'm in the market for a Quarry House, how many out there are there for me to go, how many competitors out there that, that I'm taking all my drawings to?
3: You know, there's... Well, the good news mm-hmm. is that there's been kind of a renaissance in stone. So, stone got really whacked when glass took over building. Oh, yeah. So, in the nineteen late 1940s and early 50s, the stone industries in the United States were decimated. Literally decimated. Before that, if you go backwards from there in the United States alone, just talking in the United States, and this is a rough number, I'm sure there's somebody that can fact check me and I'll be right or wrong, but... It's close. There were probably close to 10,000 quarry fabrication entities in the United States and Canada, right? Because they were building cities like Chicago and New yeah. York. They were building San Francisco here we're in granite. Most of the, A lot of the work was granite. We have cobblestone streets. There were hundreds of cobblestone quarries in Northern California alone. Oh, wow. So all of that fell off during that period. Those quarries shut down. They were Uh, As an example, the Stanford quarry is under 280. So the Um, sandstone quarry that Stanford was built from is underneath 280. uh, So no one saw any value in that stone anymore or the quarry, and they just paved over it. Done deal. So... Now, I don't think anybody knows that. No, definitely. No, we well don't. you're you're conservators here yeah. know that very well. It's it's a big subject. And uh Stanford struggles all the time with finding stones that are compatible and, and, and are, you know, close to the same. There's a little bit left up in the hills. There's some places here uh, down on the peninsula where there's a couple of outcroppings of that, but it's just boulders. And they've actually, uh, Stanford has gone and gotten a couple of those to do some of the conservators' work here. But the main, the main one's gone. So the, it, the whole thing was decimated. So you had tens of thousands of, of Irish, Italian, German, Polish stone workers that came over from Europe to build these cities that basically had to transition into other forms of construction because stone slowly just went down to almost nothing. Did they become the steel workers? Um, a lot of them went into became plaster workers and concrete. Okay. You know, they just it, it was a long kind of transition as as shops shut down and There was some core left. An example would be the Indiana Limestone Company that's still there and still operating. And Indiana Limestone is a good deal of New York's built from that. A lot of the buildings in Washington are built from Indiana Limestone. It's a major, major quarry deposit in the United States. So that, the the heart, you know, the Vermont, Danby quarries up in Morant, the granite and the marble quarries in Vermont, some of those pockets stayed active and were still producing, but at a much lower rate. There was not as much demand. And then slowly, as we went through this, it came into the 60s, into the 70s, what restored the, the stone industry was the countertops. All of a sudden... The countertops, wow. Yeah, the countertop industry started to take over the world industry in stone. It now is the large, the biggest producer of, you know, the major driver in the stone industry are countertops. And, um, wow, you know, know, what we kind of call one-dimensional stonework. So you have, you know massive amounts of quarries and blocks and tens of thousands of quarries. And they're huge factories that are cutting and processing and polishing countertops and they're going into homes and so forth. That started to bring the entire industry back and up underneath that. Slowly, some of the artisan industry came back. And now there's kind of a renaissance. So the good news is I do have competitors and I do have other studios and other ateliers and other small factories that have good people and they're, they're pursuing three-dimensional real stonework. And so they're, you know, and we encourage that, um, I, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm happy to have good competitors and, you know, we call them frenemies and we bid against each other frenemies. one day and we drink with each other the next day. And that's a good thing. <laughs> and you fight on Tuesdays. Uh, <laughs> if you can find you know, the place. Maybe. Yeah, I, I, I'm getting too old to fight anymore. <laughs> <I'm> kidding. I, <laughs> How about that
1: work? You work a lot of your work is behind gates because you deal with private residents. Yeah. Does that hurt? Help? Hinder?
3: Uh, well, we wouldn't exist without patrons. Kay. So, and I probably get a little bit in trouble, but that's okay. I'm always in trouble. So an example of that <laughs> is that uh, obviously John and Cynthia Gunn were, are, are huge contributors here, and they're the people behind the CEPR project. And I've been their private stonemason for over 13 years. So for many, many years, I've, I've been working on their residences and and working with them and building wonderful gardens and just fantastic stuff. and And they're phenomenal people. They're absolutely the best. And so we're really lucky to have clients like that. And so when that building came up, uh, they were kind of instrumental Mm -hmm. in having us do it. Stanford's lucky to have donors like that. They really are. And they're good people and they really love the college and the university. And and, uh, we love doing the project. We don't get to do stuff like that too often. So that was a treat for us. Real well, cheap.
2: that's our third PSA. Thank you to John and Cynthia Fry Foundation for. <laughs> there you go. Look at a brilliant segway. garden down Stone Garden down on the on the edge of the corner,
3: right from KCSU, right down the road. Yeah, no, it's wonderful walking here today. I was like, oh, this is great. Exactly. <laughs> I know this place. I know how to get here. It's like fantastic.
1: Oh my goodness! So, how do you you you? Does each project inspire work for even almost the next one or the next ones?
3: You know, it's, it's. You know, my son comments all this time. He goes, "Dad, we never know what's going to walk in next." As an example, I was talking about this large granite project that we just finished up in Lake Tahoe, and and you know, it just it just walked in the office one day, and 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 we hadn't been working in granite for a few years. We had been building by a by designer. Lim- no, just because okay. the work came in, and it was mainly limestone or you know whatever other stones, and so and we're like, "Well, great, we haven't done a granite job in a while. That that looks really exciting." And you know, and so we had to retool the company. And And, you know, it costs quite a bit of money. I mean, it's like, um, we have to, tooling for us, complete retooling like that costs almost a million dollars. So... It's it's not a small thing, and so but everyone was really excited because we were able to change up some big machines that we wanted to do, and we did a lot of stuff like that, and we got tooled for this job and equipped for it, and then we just really went after it, and we built right through the worst winter that the, uh, we, the year rings? before last up at Tahoe. We had like twelve oh, feet oh, of yeah. snow on the job site. Oh and my goodness! So we were we built through that winter, and so those kind of challenges oh. really get us going. We're so right. you get fired up about it all. Oh yeah. That's everybody gets excited. It's, it's like, you know, <laughs> how are we going to, you know, look at this, this is nuts. How are we going to do that? You know? And, uh, and so the guys, uh, you know, typical of my crew, they figured out a way they've bought these massive tarps that you can get from some company from Europe and you can lay them down on the ground before a big snowfall. And then you kind of hook up these big cables and they hang them 12 feet in the air and the snow came. And then when you're all done, there's just these cables up on top of the snow. We take our big crane and we went over and we oh, just lifted great. massive piles of snow out of the way, swept it off, went right back to work. Oh, very clever! Yeah, so very we clever. that kind of stuff just gets everybody going. It's so much fun.
1: Yeah, how much do you do you value, um, or do you think it's both creativity and discovery?
3: I think that. Uh, I think it's both and I think that I think it's a creative spark inside you that kind of I think I think everybody has it personally. I don't I don't believe that it's some yeah, kind of like gift from God or anything. I think all of us are humans have a creative spark in us. And then I think through discovery, we learn about it. And and so if you if you have that door, if somebody opens the door for discovery, then then all of a sudden you can let your creativity kind of go into that space and you'll learn something new and it'll take you in other places like places you didn't expect and i i think that's if there's a journey that's it yeah. for me so
1: for for this is that discovery again is it something that uh, you think someone has to be open to or introduced to or maybe maybe both a little yeah
3: I think, you know, I would say from childhood, like if you take children, they're automatically open to it. They're automatically open to discovery and creativity. So I think that that exists right from the get go. I think the problem is, is that when people negatively shut doors or shut down somebody's ability to discover or, you know, just incentivize their creativity in a way, you know, like anybody that's putting up blockades to that, that's where people kind of stumble and they stumble and then they get you know, shut down, shut down, they get shut down and they can, and that's where we start to lose it. And, and so the, the key is for me, at least what I tell everybody, I mean, the guys will say this too. They go, you know, he's just a cheerleader for the company. He's just running around (laughs) rah, rah, (laughs) go, go, you know, and you know, they won't let me do any work anymore because my skills aren't high enough for them anymore. So I just run around the company and go, let's go, let's go. Okay, good. Let's go. Let's do that. That sounds like a great idea. Let's do that. What's the, how much square? footage is all your tooling there in your in your camp. We have 20,000 square feet over in Richmond and we have a small office in San Anselmo, California cuz that's where I raised my kids and oh, wow. uh, just kind of we're just there. We've been there for a long time. And then we have a small carving atelier uh, about 45 minutes outside of Verona in Italy. And Oh well, my goodness. We have one full-time employee uh, that we moved, who was Italian and was with us for 15 years. He moved back to Italy, and he's running our European operations. Oh, my goodness. So, um, my, leg's t- my leg's moving. Yeah, it's a great show. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, we did that about, we're in, going into our 12th year of running our, our Verona. We call it uh, QH Atelier Verona. And uh, so we have two fantastic carvers uh, that are full-time there. They're carving beautiful fireplaces and statues and work all hand, all by hand. It's all traditional Renaissance-based God, carving. God, I'm so excited about this conversation. This, I'm, I'm gonna change careers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh. It's never too late to find yourself. It, no, it, absolutely.
1: I, I love your uh, articulations. A great one is iconoclastic. Is that happen almost in every project? The, either you try to do that, or you, you your clients yeah. are demanding. Well, is both?
3: I think in a lot of cases. So our, a lot of our clients are coming to us because of our history, and they know that we have built some really you know landmark projects. And yeah, and even in the private homes, happen. I mean yeah. you know word gets around and people know these homes and know these estates and 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 they and you know our name is fairly well respected in that and I think that they will come to us with something and they'll say yeah you know we want you because we do want to work you know this is means a lot to us we really were creating this thing for our family generational it's a legacy building and so that's why you're here and we we want that from you you know we want to want you to engage on that level and we get that fairly often can not you, always but fairly often can you talk about Julia Morgan and Hearst Castle a little bit. I'm not totally versed. My my experience with Julia Morgan's work has been up here in Marin in the North Bay. Oh, uh, okay. We've done two private estates that were originally designed by Julia. Oh. Um, one of them's on our website. Uh, it, it, you know, we she had part of the garden. It was two estates, and they split it. And then uh, one owner did this project, and the other owner pretty much kept it the way it was. So... You know, my experience... Well, first of all, we love Julia Morgan's work because she worked in stone and she had a real sense of scale. I mean, she had a wonderful sense of scale. And so, right away, we have an affinity. I have some of her columns that were taken out of this project in our yard and that we will keep. I mean, they're just beautiful, old, kind of like these massive, you know, pieces. And so, you know, I think that's my experience at Julia Morgan is mainly scale... I haven't had any real work on any major buildings she's done, and I never have worked at San Simeon, although I've been there and I've studied it some. But Um, all of that is stone, because there's a lot of tile. Yeah, San Simeon is a lot of plaster and tile. There is a lot of plaster work and tile. I mean... There's a fair amount of pirated stone. Oh, yeah? Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's, that was kind of his thing, you know? Like, there's there's a lot of people in Europe that are still kind of pissy about that, you know? And, yeah. I mean, you know. The, but he, but uh, he's cursed. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, but I, I do know that they just finished a wonderful re- restoration. They had a fantastic stone company from L.A. that worked on it and is a competitor, but also friends and guys oh, that wow. we know well. So I know it was done well. And they did the pool. They restored mm. the pool, and so that was a um, that just just is getting finished now. I think they just opened the pool again to the public, and um, you can swim
1: in it as well. Well, there, there's yeah. like if you contribute to a f- yeah. specific foundation, right. you have certain times hmm. during the year that you can actually swim in the pool.
3: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, so I think that that, you know, anytime we hear about restoration, we get excited. The only other touchstone we have is we did win the Julia Morgan Award oh, last nice. year. Oh my goodness, congratulations. historic restoration. We did the uh, Hi- Hibernia Bank restoration. And uh, so that was that was Wow, that's fantastic. Great. That was a really fun project. We really enjoyed that.
2: I think it's very important that a young country like america takes heed to to
3: appreciate and keep its it's historical artifacts intact. Uh, you know, the restoration side is, again, it, it's kind of for us, it's like it doesn't come all the time, but every once in a while we'll get like a spate of restoration projects. And we have another one, a private project in the city we're really excited about. We're just getting through permitting right now. And I can't talk about too much right now, but I hope in the next couple of years we're going to be able to, the owner has said that he'll allow us to write some white papers on it as we go. Because I think it's going to be a really important oh, great! Uh, house in San Francisco, a really landmark house. So.
1: Yeah. How's the- How's uh, working with the, through cities and the planning departments with the stone, say, now versus, say, five, ten years ago?
3: Difficult. Okay. You know, if part of the problem is there's not much knowledge base. So a lot of the planners have really mm-hmm. not too much knowledge. And they, uh, in the restoration side, it would be better, from my perspective, if there were more true trained conservators in the government side of the permitting process. Because it's very difficult when you're working in a conservator environment if you're not educated well about it and you and you don't understand the physics and the dynamics well, then, you know, like... It's they, a constraint. It's a constraint, yeah. It's going to be a disservice to everybody. But, you know, what we try to do is educate. So any time we encounter that kind of thing, we say, okay, well, so we're going to have to educate. So we come on out and we're going to... Spend the time, and we're going to show you, talk to you, demonstrate to you why we do things this way or that way. So we're back to ICAA, and
2: we need classes that train planners. Yeah, <laughs> that would be a good thing. You know, to educate the planners yeah. so they get excited about when a stone project comes in. Yeah, we're we're
1: coming near the uh, commencement of our show, Charlotte. Please, I, again, I you read that. the promo, please.
2: <laughs> Well, we're we're going to I'm going to learn as much as I can about ICAA and you're going to see me down there at some of your classes. Yeah. And uh, anybody else can come too. Correct? And the next your upcoming event is the San Francisco is at the San Francisco Civic Center on September yes. 10th. Yes. So there's a lecture and, and public
3: Public uh, programs that yep. you're always doing what like monthly or? Uh, we get a couple of programs a month, and I run the artisan committee inside as well. And and uh, so we are having tours of artisan shops. We're doing uh, wonderful historic plasterers here in San Francisco. Uh, there's Lorna Colmeyer who's out in Hunters Point. She's phenomenal. We do metal workers or some of the best metal workers in the country are here and locally. Oh and wow, nice. Some of the best cast glass people in the world are here. There's there's a lot of artisanship that's scattered around the Bay Area. It's so a phenomenal people, phenomenal work. And
2: so I see it's actually a lecture and a book signing of the new book, the San Francisco Civic Center, a history of design, controversies and realization of the city beautiful masterpiece with author James Haas. James W. Haas. So you can go to that lecture and book signing at the James L. Flood Mansion. And so that's a uh, quadruple Broadway, twenty two twenty two Broadway, San Francisco. So this this is what part of what ICAA does is continually provides all these very nice talks and different events like that, constantly educating wow hurrah
1: (laughs) outstanding Ed is there anything else you'd like to share that we may not have uh, touched on uh, during your show
3: I don't think so it's wonderful meeting you both and it's been fascinating talking to you as well and uh, you know Stanford students if you're listening pick up a pencil grab a pad get out to the ICA let's do some drawing and then um, we'll get you out and we'll get you on a piece of stone and get you a whole new life Yes, (laughs)
1: Yes, <laughs> excellent, excellent. Ed, it's been an honor and pleasure. Thank you very much. Well, thank you I both. hope you consider coming uh, on our show very soon again. Absolutely. Call anytime. Love to, love to. <laughs> You've been listening to The Modern Architect. I'm Tom DiOrro. Our guest today has been Ed Westbrook, CEO of Quarry House. Ed founded Quarry House two decades ago, translating the ancient craft of stone masonry into a modern vernacular. He and his artisans believe in the art of Legacy, combining traditional and innovative stonework techniques, sourcing stone building materials locally and globally. Quarry House travels worldwide and creates timeless structures for both private estates and public spaces. For more information, feel free to visit quarryhouse.com. Again, quarryhouse.com. Join us again next time when we welcome another outstanding architect, engineer, influencer, or civic leader committed to positive and sustainable cities,
2: communities, and lives. The modern architect is recorded at KZSU Stanford University Studios in Stanford. California, and on location throughout California. Today, the recording engineer is Charlotte M. Thornton, Chief Engineer Mark Lawrence, and we're all assisted by Akshay Hyagi. And the executive producer and host of The Modern Architect is Tom Dioro. If you wish to contact us, our email address is interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. And again, that's interviews at kzsu.stanford.edu. And without hesitation, I want to add, now remember that King Arthur became king only after he pulled the sword from the stone. There you have it. Thank you.
0: Are you an architect, designer, contractor, or engineer? Modeler.com is a platform connecting architects and other specifiers with building product manufacturers. Modeler.com's engaged network of over 240,000 architects, designers, and construction professionals use Modeler.com's tools to discover, discuss, and specify products appropriate for building projects. We at KZSU Stanford thank Modeler.com for the generous underwriting of production and broadcasting costs for the modern architect.